title of my message is what don't you want on your burger which is kind of an odd title an odd um you know idea but if you know me it's pretty fitting um it's middle of the summer barbecue season i love hamburgers i love cheeseburgers um i am a at home like a ketchup i'm newly into pickles on my cheeseburger um so ketchup pickles we have leftover bacon in the fridge i like that too um but i definitely do not want tomatoes too healthy i definitely do not want lettuce and raw onions are really bad and then my wife won't kiss me for the rest of the day so um those are my three that i definitely do not want on my burger um and that has nothing to do with the message today um but i just thought i'd start with that but the the title will come back into play at some point um in the future so Two weeks ago, my sister Jill Hires, she was up here and she shared a message, um, and the mission, message was called "Mission I'm Possible." Uh, and so she talked about how we all face times in our lives, challenging situations, whether they're relational, medical, financial, addictions, whatever they, whatever it is, but situations that are impossible for us to conquer on our own. Um, but she said that we serve a God who says in Matthew 19:26 that with God all things are possible. So while our situations are impossible, we serve the God of the I'm possible, and through God these things are possible to get through. She encouraged us with a few things to do when we're walking through these I'm possible situations. First thing she said we should do is we should change our perspective. So instead of just seeing what the world sees and instead of just seeing what's in front of us, she challenged us to see it from God's point of view and what does God's word say about it? She also encouraged us to get our eyes off ourselves that when we wallow and have self-pity that doesn't really help us in these times but when we start to serve others and go beyond ourselves then that opens the door for God to continue to work in our lives and our hearts and we also start to see our situation might not be as bad as we realized. She also encouraged us to talk to God. Right this should be like the first thing on the list but oftentimes like 10 things down the list we're like oh yeah Maybe I should pray to God about this. And she said when you talk to God be honest like King David in the Psalms, like pour out your heart to him, tell him how you're really feeling. You don't need to sugarcoat those feelings to him. She also said to rely to talk to someone else and rely on your community and this is where small group is so important where you have those friends that you can trust, those people that you can talk to just to share what you're walking through. And she said don't give up but give it up, meaning persevere through the time. but don't think you can solve this on your own give it up to god and trust him and i thought it was so encouraging to know that you know when we face these impossible times in our lives we serve a god who created the universe right and so it often when we walk through hard times it seems so large in front of us but we have to step back and realize god created like everything right and what could we face that he couldn't solve and fix and help us through as jill was speaking though um god was speaking to my heart it was funny my wife amanda looked over at me and was like are you okay when jill's preaching like did i do something wrong and i was like no but like god was really like speaking to my heart on something it was really working through me and what he was talking to me about was that when we go through these im- these impossible times that god has given us a community of believers a church to be around and that he uses our fellow believers and our friends to help us walk through those impossible times and so what i want to talk to about today is how god's word shows that we have a responsibility to each other 
as we see people walking through hard times, not just to pat them on the back, but to insert ourselves into, our, into their lives and to help them out. Um, and so this topic really resonates with me um, because my family's in the midst of an I'm possible situation. So this is where it gets hard. Um, but Jill mentioned a couple weeks ago that my son Matthew was born with a rare heart um, defect. So there's supposed to be four chambers in a normal heart, and my son only has two. And so it's a 100% fatal condition without drastic intervention. And so he's had two open heart surgeries in the first three months of his life. And he has his, he's just about two, he turns two this Friday. And he has his third open heart surgery coming up in a little over a couple of weeks. And so this topic resonates with me so much because my family's been on the receiving end over the past couple of years of God's love and, his and the love of the community and people coming alongside us. I remember when Amanda was pregnant with Matthew before we, he was even delivered, we were telling our small group about it and our small group showed up one night and they were just like, hey, we obviously can't change his heart, but we can come alongside you and here we've pooled money together, here take this check. I mean, that is God's loving community making a difference in our lives. So what I'd like to do today is just talk about four points. Three of them start with a P. If I was like maybe paid as a pastor, then it would be like four P's, but I only got three P's in there. Um, but so I want to talk about four ways how we can come alongside other people as they walk through challenging times. Now, a little caveat though is don't feel like you need to insert yourself into every person's life and solve everyone's problems. God's already working in people's lives, and it's our opportunity to come alongside the work that God is doing where he's calling us to come along. Um, so the first way that we can come alongside people, it's through sharing our presence with others. You know, I feel like God calls us to show up when others are in need. And I think a great example of this comes from the book of Job, um, so if you know anything about the book of Job and the man Job, the story from the Old Testament, he was a very righteous man who was very wealthy, yet in a very short time, he lost his wealth, all of his children were killed, and he got covered from head to toe with sores. I mean, pretty big, like, turn of events pretty quickly. Um, but it says in Job chapter 2, verses 11 to 13, it says, uh, Job's three friends, and I didn't practice those names, so you guys can um, figure them out yourselves. Um, when, he, when they heard all about the troubles that had come upon Job, they set out from their homes and met together by agreement to go and sympathize with him and comfort him, to share their presence. I mean, think about that. These people probably had their own lives going on, yet when their friend was in need, they're like, we have to go be with him. We have to, like, make a way to show him how much we care for him. And it says in verse 12, when they saw Job from a distance, they could hardly recognize him. And they began to weep aloud, and they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads. I mean, these are the kind of friends that I want in my life. That when I go through a hard time, they drop what they're doing to come be with me. And then they cry with me, and they mourn with me, and they get down to the level that I'm at. But then it's the next verse that truly blows my mind. It says, Then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights. Now, maybe that doesn't blow your mind as much as me. But like, that's a, like I, I'm smart. That's a week. Like a full week of their life, they gave up to be with their friend. 
I mean, I'm so guilty of this, thinking like an hour out of my time to go see someone or a couple of hours to go drop something off for someone is too much of an inconvenience. And I feel like we convince ourselves today that our schedules are so busy, but realize we fill up our schedules oftentimes with things that we want to fill up our schedules with. In the grand scheme of life, like we're not tilling the fields trying to like just barely survive and get enough food to survive on a daily basis. Like we can make time for people. And these people gave seven days and seven nights to be with Job. Another great example of sharing your presence comes from Jesus. So the night before Jesus was, or the night Jesus was arrested, he went to the Garden of Gethsemane, and he knew all the atrocities that were about to come on him. This is the night where he was, like, deeply troubled. And so on that time, that night, what did he want? What did he want for comfort? Well, first he wanted to talk to his father. He wanted to pray. But he also wanted the companionship of his apostles. Matthew 26, 37 says, Jesus took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Now, realize that when Jesus traveled, he had a large group of disciples, people following him everywhere he went, and he had his 12 apostles who he chose, but within that 12, there was the three, Peter, James, and John, who is even closer to. And on that night, when he was so troubled to the point of, like, sweating blood, It says that he told his friends, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. When people go through I'm possible times, our presence is more meaningful than we can possibly know. Just knowing that I'm here for you makes such a difference. See, I think we live in an age where we convince ourselves that if I like something on social media or if I comment praying on a Facebook post or something like that, then that's me being there for other people, which, yes, those aren't bad things, but I believe that God calls us to be more for others in need. So maybe God's bringing someone to mind right now, like maybe that person needs a text from you, not just a comment on social media, asking them how they're doing, telling them that you're praying for them. Or maybe that person needs an actual phone call where you talk to them. I mean, it's wild idea in this day and age. And I hear a lot of people say, myself too, like, well, I don't want to call them because they're probably really busy and I don't want to like inconvenience them by making a phone call. But realize like today, every phone call we get has the phone number or the person on there. So like, if I don't want to talk to you, I'll just ignore it, which I've done plenty of times, not to anyone in here, obviously. Um, But like, so yeah, don't worry about being an inconvenience. Like, make sure that that person feels loved, because what if you say, well, I don't want to, like, you know, interrupt them, and then everyone else says that? What ends up happening to that person going through a hard time? No one reaches out to them, and they feel lonely. Or maybe God's putting on your heart right now that there's someone you know going through an I'm possible time that needs your presence physically, like, needs you just to show up and be there. And I said this to the first service, no one got up and left, so that's fine, but hey, I'm serious. If God's, like, putting on your heart, like, this person needs me, like, get up and go right now. I will not be offended in any way, unless, like, you, like, throw something at me as you leave. I would not like that. But our presence matters so much to people. And the second thing that I've learned after sharing your presence is the importance of listening. You see, listening allows us to discern what the person needs in the moment. James 1.19 says, My dear brothers and sisters, everyone take note of this. 
Everyone should be quick to, quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Such an easy verse to memorize, such a hard verse to live, right? Because we get in those moments with people and we start to like talk and talk. And I feel like so often what people need is someone to listen, to hear them. In the passage from Job that I was reading earlier in Job chapter 2, the first part of verse 13 says, they sat with him day and night for seven days. But the second part of the verse of 13 that I didn't read before says, no one said a word to him because they saw how great his suffering was. So like not only were they there with him for seven days and seven nights, but they just sat there and listened and didn't interject their thoughts or their opinions yet. See, I found as humans, a lot of us are quick to give advice or share our own personal experiences um, when someone is in need. And so it's very like, I, I hope that person, people aren't here anymore. But anyways, so like even I, I say this after, and so after first service, I'm talking to people and then people still come up and tell me like their awful life experiences. And I'm like, okay, like, I guess you didn't hear that part of my message, which is fine. Um, but I feel like we're quick to share scriptures or our awful life experiences with people. And sometimes that's what's needed, which is why we rely on the Holy Spirit to know like what to say in those situations. But I have to tell you, in my hardest moments and my darkest times, it wasn't people that told me to have more faith. It wasn't people that shared 12 scriptures with me. It wasn't people that like shared their own accounts. It was the people that came alongside me and said, I am so sorry you're going through this. How are you? Tell me about it. And just kept asking and pouring into me. Soon after we got home from Matthew's first surgery, um, Amanda and I were feeling kind of isolated and lonely. Um, and so Amanda invited a couple of her former co-workers over to our house just to hang out on the deck for a few hours. And neither of these two ladies were Christians, but they came over and they just sat on the back deck and they just chatted and chatted for hours to the point where I eventually went to bed because I was like, I'm not going to wait up any longer. Um, and so Amanda left that conversation feeling so light and so loved, and more so than she had felt in a long time. And the reason was, the girls just asked her, how are you? And then followed up with more questions and met her where she was at. And it was just a genuine interest in her well-being and had nothing to do with trying to solve the problem and reverting back to like Christian cliches, which don't hear what I'm trying to say. I'm not saying it's bad to use cliches in scriptures, but I'm saying we need to discern what the people need in the moment. And oftentimes, just investing into them and loving them is what's needed. You know, Job's friends, they're not looked upon very favorably now as you continue to read through the book of Job, because after seven days and seven nights, they open their mouth and they start saying, well, you know, Job, God punishes sinners and the righteous prosper. So if you're getting punished so badly, you must be a pretty big sinner and blah, blah, blah. It's like not really nice to kick a man when he's down like that. And so now we don't really look as Job's friends as being super great. Um, but maybe if they had kept their mouth shut a little longer and listened, then it would go a little better. So going along with sharing our presence and listening... The third thing that I've experienced walking through those I'm possible times is the importance of provision. 
providing for people. And when I think about um, this, when I think about a story that goes along with providing for people going through challenging times, I can't help but think of the story of the Good Samaritan. So you probably know this story. Jesus shared the story um, in a parable where there's a man walking down a road and he gets stripped, beaten, flogged, left for dead. And two religious people walk by him and go to the other side and avoid him. But it's the Samaritan man realized that at this time, Jews and Samaritans despised each other. So this was probably a Jewish man on the side of the road. But it's the Samaritan man that stopped, bandaged his wounds, took him to an inn, paid for his stay, and made sure that he was all set. And at the end of the story, Jesus says to his disciples and the people listening, go and do likewise. So I remember a number of years ago at Shiloh, we did a series called Faith in Action. Um, and one of, the one of the sermons in the series was on this parable, and it was titled, Love Takes a Detour. Now, realize the Samaritan man was probably traveling down the road because he had places to do, um, places to go, things to do, people to see. But he saw a need, a need of someone he didn't even know, and he stopped and he helped save this man. And I feel like we are called to do the same thing with others. Our lives are full of things to do, but yet what will happen when a detour comes your way? Will you stop and share your presence or listen or help provide for that person in some way? But another way, how can we be the good Samaritan to other people? You know, one way that we're called to be the good Samaritan is to provide encouragement to one another. A couple of weeks ago, Amanda went down to the mailbox to get the mail with her daughter, Ellie, and she comes back up and Amanda's crying. And I'm like, oh crap, what bill just came in the mail? Like, what is going on here? And no, like, it, it wasn't a bill. It was a friend she hasn't seen for a couple of years sent her an encouraging note, just said, hey, I think you're a warrior mom, and I'm sorry you're going through this, but I know you're going to continue to get through this situation. I love you. And that was the encouragement that Amanda needed at that moment. Sometimes we provide what I mentioned earlier, our presence, right? Our, our time. We pick something up for somebody or give someone a ride to a place. Like that's us being the good Samaritan to other people. And sometimes we provide money for others. Sometimes God calls us to give money. You know, at the same time we found out about Matthew's heart condition when Amanda was still pregnant with him, she, Amanda then lost her job. Amanda's my wife, if I didn't mention that. Um, she lost her job a couple of weeks later. And so money was tight, and um, it was a pretty dire situation in some ways. But I can't tell you how many days we walked down to the mailbox, and there was a check in there from someone just wanting to help us out, or how many people gave us gift cards for gas, or how many people gave us gift cards to restaurants down in the area where Children's Hospital is, um, or to Aubon Pain in there. You can only eat so much Aubon Pain or hospital food, and they kind of kills you after certain. Oh, they're, they're chocolate chip cookies. <laughs> they're good. And they, and they have a red velvet. Not, I'm not looking forward to going back to the hospital, but a chocolate chip cookie from Avon Pan. And they, I'll stop, because there's some other good food there. All right. Um, so anyways, where was I? Now I lost my spot. Oh, yeah. So money was tight and people helped us. You know, so then we, when we brought Matthew home for the hospital, from the hospital, for a couple of weeks, people brought us meals. And I remember Nathan Saller. So we heat our home with firewood. We have a wood stove. And Nathan Saller brought us over like a quart of split wood, and he helped me stack it too. Uh, he brought his son along too. I don't know if he wanted to go as much, but, uh, but he helped me stack the wood. 
And then when we went down for Matthew's second surgery a few months later, we realized it was really hard. We were away for like five weeks. So Ellie, our daughter, was up here. We were down in Boston with Matthew, and it was really hard. So we had a friend who rented us a suite at a hotel two blocks from the hospital for like a week so that Amanda's parents could be down with Ellie in the hotel a couple blocks away, and we could be in the hospital, and we could go see her every single day, and she could see us. I mean, these are things that we could never repay and so wonderful and amazing that it allowed us as a family to get through that tough time. Realize most of the time, God isn't going to use us to actually solve the problem that the person is walking through, but he allows us to help people through it and make it more manageable for them. And sometimes it feels awkward, right? Like, should I help them? Should I not help them? If I send them money, are they going to be like, well, I don't need money. I'm all set. I can stand on my own two feet. If God's put it on your heart to help someone, then help them. Because if you don't, then that's Satan robbing you from the opportunity to be generous in the ways that God is calling you to be generous. 2 Corinthians 9.11 says, you will be enriched in every way, so that you can be generous on every occasion, right? We're blessed to be a blessing. But it's that last part of this scripture that I am a living testimony of. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. See, I am so thankful. I'm more thankful now than I've ever been because of the generosity that people have shown to us. But the most important thing is that we're open to the Holy Spirit as detours come at us in life. So, random side note, but at Shiloh, our vision is know God, find freedom, discover your purpose, make a difference. And when you go through growth track number four, the last class, you sign up to volunteer here um, through a volunteer fair um, on a Sunday morning. And sometimes I think we confuse like, oh, well, to make a difference, I need to serve at Shiloh. Well, that is making a difference, but realize everything I'm talking about today, like that's Shiloh's vision. That's you discovering your purpose, seeing who's in need, and then making a difference in their life. So, okay, back on. Uh, so the fourth thing that I've talked about, that I've learned um, walking through these times is the power of prayer. And I think it's easy to think of prayer as not helping as much as other things. Like, you know, that person rented a hotel suite for a week. That person sent them a check for this, and I'm just praying for them. You know, I grew up in a very loving home, and my parents provided for me food, clothing, shelter, so many things for my whole life. Yet, the most important thing they did for me is they prayed for me. I remember getting up every morning and seeing my mom on the couch praying, and she'd pray for all of her children. And don't you think in all the hard times that I've walked through, those prayers that she said for me have made a greater impact on my life than any physical thing they could ever give me? And do you realize that when we pray, we're literally petitioning the creator of the universe. First Peter 3.12 says, The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. When we pray, we don't speak into a void. It literally tells us here, God listens to us when we pray. And so when we see people going through impossible times... Our prayers make a difference. And it can be a long prayer, like Matthew surgeries, August 1st, write it down. And so if you want to say on that day, like, hey, I'm going to spend a half hour in prayer for him, we will definitely take that. Um, But your prayers could be short. You're doing the dishes, name pops into mind, I'm going to pray for them. Or you're driving down the road, name pops into your head, oh, I'm going to pray for them. Or like you get woken up in the middle of the night, someone's name is in your head, pray for them. And then send them a text, hey, been praying for you. 
been thinking about you. And it may feel awkward. You may be like, well, would they really want to hear from me? But really, who's going to be upset by hearing someone say like, hey, God put you on my heart. I'm praying for you. So think about it right now. Who in your life do you know that's walking through a hard time? Walking through an impossible situation? Who can you share your presence with? Who could use a listening ear from you? Who could use something provided for them? Who's God calling you to pray for? If God brings someone to mind and you're not sure what to do, but you feel like you're called to do something, the simplest thing is ask the person what they need. So I was recently listening to a message from North Point Community Church. That's Andy Stanley's church. I'm a big Andy Stanley guy. I love me some Andy Stanley. Um, And so he actually wasn't preaching that day, though. Um, One of his associate pastors was. And they were interviewing the COO of Facebook. Her name's Cheryl Sanders. She's not a Christian. um, But she wrote a book about the grief that she went through after she lost her husband. So she was in her early 40s. Her husband unexpectedly died. uh, And so she had a 10-year-old and a 7-year-old child at the time. And through that grief, she wrote this book. And I love how she put it. She said, there's a lot of self-help books out there, but there's not a lot of helping others books. And the purpose of her book is to help others through hard times and loss. And so one of the things that she says in the interview is what she calls the platinum rule. And the platinum rule is this. Do for them what you would want done for them. So the golden rule, treat others the way you want to be treated, platinum rule, do for them what they want done for them. Because see, she said she's a very personable person. I said that in the first service too. I don't know if that works. But anyways, she's very personable. And she would often talk to people. But then when she came back from work after her husband passed away, it was like people stopped talking to her because they didn't know what to say. They, they didn't want to offend her. Or she would say, people would say, well, I didn't want to like, just in case you forgot about it, like I didn't want to bring it back up. And she's like, my husband died. I'm never going to forget about that. Just talk to me. And so through her experiences of friends who've had cancer and things like that, now she says like, hey, I've never had cancer. I don't know what it's like. So can you tell me, how can I support you? How can I be there for you? Because when we don't insert ourselves into people's lives and ask them what they need, it can lead to them feeling isolated and alone because more than just you is probably feeling that way. And then all of a sudden, these people are left just to figure things out by themselves. But it's when we ask them, hey, what can I do for you? How can I help you? That's what makes the difference. She tells another story of um, a coworker of hers at Facebook who um, his son or his child had, was really sick and in the hospital for months. So the coworker and his wife were in the hospital for months with the child. Um, and so one day, the guy gets a call, the coworker gets a call from a friend. The friend says, Hey, I'm here in the lobby. What don't you want on your burger? And not, not like, I'm going to send you a text. I'm going to comment on something on social media. It's like, no, I'm showing up and I'm here and I want to get you a burger, but I want to get this right. So tell me, what don't you want on your burger? She tells another story of another person who called him and said like, hey, I'm here in the lobby and I have a hug for you. And I'm going to be here for an hour. And if you want to come down and get that hug, it's here. But if you don't, I understand. But I just want you to know, I'm here for you. 
See, guys, I believe that God is calling us to be the kind of church where we ask each other, what don't you want on your burger? Where we don't just hear about stories of people going through hard times, but we show up and insert ourselves into people's lives, and we're there for them, and we meet their needs, whether it's through our presence or listening ears or provision or prayer. And so as we, as we close, could you guys please stand with me? And so I want to share with you guys just where I'm at walking through my I'm possible situation. You know, Amanda and I are really scared about Matthew's surgery coming up in a couple of weeks. And everything in the natural is pointing towards a good surgery, right? We have one of the best surgeons from one of the best hospitals in the world. And Matthew is very healthy besides for his heart. But then other things start to come in mind. For example, he's older now. He's aware of what's going on. And they're still going to have to put him to sleep and roll him away from us on a hospital bed. And I don't know, about, like, I don't know if you've ever had hard things come in life or things that are coming and you have like, things replay in your mind again and again. But it's that moment when I lay in bed, it's that moment where we like, just give him his like, kiss and then they like, wheel him away from us. That keeps playing in my head again and again. And I know they're still going to have to open his chest and stop his heart from beating and his lungs from breathing for hours to be able to make this work. And I know we believe in the I'm possible God, but just being honest, we can't get through this without the help of our church family. And I don't want anyone in here to have to walk through something by themselves and not get the help that they need. You know, we've been carried by you guys so many times before, and we just humbly ask you to help carry us again. You know, I can't help but think of the story from uh, the Gospels where the friends have their paralytic man, the paralyzed man on the mat, and they can't get to Jesus, so they make a way, and they climb up onto the roof, and they cut a hole in the roof, and they lower their friend before Jesus. I want us to be that kind of church where we say, what don't you want on your burger? And where we make a way and bring them to Jesus. So if you're walking through an impossible situation today, whatever it is, I ask that you listen to what my sister said a couple of weeks ago and be willing to admit, I can't solve this problem on my own and I need help. So if that's you today, would you raise your hand just saying, I'm in an I'm possible situation and I need help. And I know it's scary and I know it's awkward and you might start to think, well, what if people like, I don't want to admit, but I'm telling you, Pastor Ed talked about how there's miracles that can happen today and that the spirit is moving and the spirit's in our midst. And the first step to allowing the spirit to work is to just admit that you're in that spot where you need help. So I encourage you, raise your hand high and keep your hand high today. If you are one of those people that says, I'm in an I'm possible situation and I need the help of God. I need the help of my community. I cannot do this on my own anymore. I have come to my wit's end and I need your help, whether it's financial, whether it's relational, whether it's an addiction, whether it's um, medical, whatever it is, raise your hand and keep your hand high. Now for the rest of us, turn around and look at these people. You know, we usually say you can come forward at the end for prayer at the end of service and an elder or a small group leader will be here. But I believe that we are called to all be there for each other and all pray for each other. So what I want to have happen now is keep your hands high, guys. Be brave and keep your hands high. And I want the rest of us 
to get out of our comfort zone and gather around those people and place our hands on them and start praying for them. So go, move now, find the people with their hands up and get out of your seats, get out of your chairs, get out of the aisles and pray for each other. And you don't have to know what to pray. It's okay. The Bible says that the spirit green prays and groans that we can't express that when we don't know what to pray, he prays for us. You don't have to say anything to them. You don't have to do anything for this. Be there, share your presence with them. And I just encourage you just to reach your hands out and pray and lift them up before God. And make sure that no one's left alone. If there's someone with their hands up, please make sure that everybody has someone praying for them. And as we pray, let's call on the Spirit and believe for miracles. Believe that the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead is living in us and is dwelling in this church today and is moving in this church. So we just encourage you to pray, to lift one another up. Yes, Jesus. We believe that there is power in the name of Jesus. Yes, God. Yes, Jesus. We believe that Jesus can break every chain. Yes, Jesus. we just invite you in and Holy Spirit move freely amongst us we know that you are powerful and God we pray that you would meet the needs of these people who are brave enough to raise their hands God we know that we can't do the things that need to be done but with God all things are possible we believe of the God of the we believe in the God of the impossible so God we give you this day I encourage you guys just to continue to minister if there's ministry taking place. In a few minutes, I just ask that you guys would help stack chairs too, but just be sensitive to the Holy Spirit and just give the opportunity to people to continue to be ministered to as we go through this time. We love you, God, in Jesus' name. Amen.